The Gerontological Society of America, Advancing Innovation in Aging. GSA on Aging. I'm Howard Dickens, Social Media Editor of The Gerontologist, a publication of the Gerontological Society of America. I interviewed Rowan Ten Cape. She's a doctoral student in the Department of Sociology at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. Her paper, A Closer Look at Loneliness, Why Do First-Generation Migrants Feel More Lonely Than Their Native Dutch Counterparts, appeared in the special issue of The Gerontologist on Immigration and Aging. Then I spoke with my mother, and I asked her about people in her life who were first-generation immigrants to the United States. Thank you so much for agreeing to take the time to speak with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Yes. Yeah, it's really a really nice opportunity to talk about the research. So you have a recent paper in The Gerontologist about older mm-hmm. migrants to the Netherlands. Can you tell me about your study? What got you interested in this topic? Uh, yeah, sure. So... I started with this PC project uh, last year, and the project is about the social well-being of older migrants living in the Netherlands. And when I started reading the literature, I immediately was struck by the finding that older migrants um, experience more loneliness compared to native Dutch. And this was also found in other countries that older migrants are more alone in comparison to natives. And uh, for instance, uh, a Dutch study, uh, the Longitudinal Aging Study of Amsterdam found that, uh, for instance, the Moroccan and Turkish older migrants, um, that more than half of them feel lonely. So that's such a high number. And um, for this first study, um, I wanted to have a better uh, understanding of that uh, higher loneliness and exactly why um, they feel more lonely in comparison to natives. Can you tell me a little bit about migration in Netherlands? It's a topic that I'm not familiar with and I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, readers of the gerontologist will be very interested to get a little uh, more sort of background. Yeah, so um, in the Netherlands, uh, the majority of older migrants uh, come from either former colonies of the Netherlands, um, such as the Atelian, or um, they come from uh, countries that had a guest worker agreement with the Netherlands, such as Turkey or Morocco. Um, And we also have more recent uh, migrant uh, populations, for instance, coming from Syria or Afghanistan, but the majority of older migrants uh, moved here in the, the 60s, 70s, or 80s. Was migration slowed in the Netherlands, or is it more of a guest worker program in, in uh, contemporary times? I think the, um, um, the Netherlands doesn't have many guest worker programs anymore. I'm not really an expert on this topic. But in general, uh, many Dutch uh, political parties um, want to decrease the migrants, um, um, yeah, the migrant streams coming to the Netherlands. 
So the migrants that uh, that you're um, that are the subject of your research, are those uh, individuals, are they uh, citizens? Are they entitled to full social welfare benefits? Uh, yes, they are Dutch citizens. Um, we use data from Dutch statistics. So um, every Dutch citizen is recorded in a data. Uh, so in fact, they are Dutch citizens. They are entitled to health uh, care and social uh, welfare benefits. And um, we uh, focus on first-generation migrants. So those are migrants um, who were born in a different country and whose parents were also born outside the Netherlands. Yeah, so for those first-generation migrants, it might be uh, also a different experience um, living in the Netherlands nowadays compared to uh, second-generation migrants who grew up in the Netherlands and might know the culture better or might know the language better. So it could be different for first-generation migrants how they experience living uh, in another country when they are older. So what were the main findings from your survey? I think you're you're starting to hint at it, but what did you um, what did you find? Well, we wanted to explore. Um, I wrote this paper together with my supervisors Bashak uh, and Nardi, and we wanted to really understand whether uh, migrants uh, experience both social and emotional loneliness, and what aspects of their social relations uh, can explain that, um, because. Um, in most research, there's not really a distinction between social and emotional loneliness. So we wanted to better understand what type of loneliness they experience. Um, for instance, social loneliness is more about missing a broader social network. Uh, for instance, not having that many friends or not engaging in any social activities. Whereas emotional loneliness is more about missing close uh, personal connections. For instance, um, if you miss a close friend or if you don't have a partner or if you um, cannot call your mother every day if you want to talk about something, that would be more emotional loneliness. And we found in this study that in comparison to uh, native Dutch, we don't have a migration background that migrants both are more socially and emotionally lonely. So that means that they both miss uh, a broader social network and that they don't really have these close uh, personal connections, which is very sad, actually, to, to have that finding. So you also had some very interesting findings about, about the engagement in social activities and whether mm-hmm. engagement in social activities had what you would expect to be a, a protective effect on loneliness. Can you explain that? Uh, yeah, so I have to, we have to keep in mind that this is a cross-section study, so it's difficult to say whether it really has an effect or not. Um, it could also be the case that certain people engage uh, or have more reasons to engage in social activities <laughs> For instance, if they are lonely, that they have more of a, a reason to engage in these activities. But what we found was that in general, uh, social activities uh, such as um, going to a restaurant or going to the movies, that does have a protective effect against loneliness, that social activities of clubs um, 
so activities that you do in groups was not protective. But again, it's difficult to say um, whether this is because it doesn't have an effect or whether those people um, who engage in these activities um, have diff are from a different age or from a different background. So it's difficult to say what really is behind this effect because it's such a cross-sectional study. Sure. So you have... Um mm -hmm. So you offered some suggestions for future research and potential interventions. Where do you think that this uh, line of inquiry should go? Um, well, I think um, what we really want to do is have to have a first impression of uh, the, uh, the feelings of social and emotional illness among migrants. So I think future research should go into more detail, um, for instance, um, how they experience that type of loneliness. And it could be qualitative research where you can really go into uh, their personal life stories and their daily life and how they describe um, their feelings of loneliness. For instance, is it described as boredom? Is it described as feeling misunderstood or um, not having uh, anyone to talk to? So I think um, this really calls for qualitative research where you, um, you have a better understanding of their experiences, of the experiences of migrants. And it's also needed to look into more detail um, how this differs across the migrant population. Because it's such a diverse population. Um, you have people coming from different countries who migrated to the Netherlands um, because of different reasons, and people um, might have learned to speak Dutch or not. Um, some people may have come from countries that have a different culture, um, or some um, might have a similar culture. So it would also be very important to study into more um, detail um, across the uh, migrant population. What type that they experience, or what type of loneliness they experience, but also who exactly um, feels that way or not. It's important to not uh, generalize across the migrant population, so that has to be something for future studies uh, to take that into account. One factor that I'm uh, curious about is the role of uh, family members in uh, loneliness, especially if people are from a a country of origin where there isn't a large community, but they might have a family members that either migrated with them or that married and uh, started a family uh, after they migrated. So I'm I'm wondering if those uh, family relationships had the expected effect. Um, yes, they did actually. So in general, um, having, for instance, a partner. Uh, at home is protective against loneliness, but also having uh, more contact frequency with family is protective against loneliness. And we also found that in comparison to native Dutch, uh, migrants actually uh, talk to their family members more often. So they uh, seem to have uh, more often a partner at home, more often to have their children living with them at home, but also to uh, talk to other family members more often in comparison to native Dutch. But still, they were more lonely in comparison to the natives. 
So in general, uh, yes, having family members around you is protective and um, makes you feel less lonely. But for migrants, it it still seems like there are some other things um, that make them lonely despite having family members around them. So what we wrote in the paper is that, for instance, um, they could have certain expectations from their family members that may not always be met. Um, For instance, if older migrants um, expect their grandchildren to, uh, let's say, speak Turkish, but the grandchildren do not, uh, well, that might be um, a source of discomfort or dissatisfaction and could also make them feel lonely if they could not interact with their grandchildren if their grandchildren don't speak the, the same language. So, um, in general, family um, helps against loneliness, but for migrants, there might be some, um, yeah, some expectations that don't come true with regards to their family members. That's very interesting because you would think it would have a strong uh, positive effect, but but what you seem to be saying is that it's not that it doesn't uh, eliminate the difference between uh, migrant and native-born. Yeah, so so I would say that having family members around you is protective, but if you're not satisfied with um, those uh, social relations with your family members, then you may still feel very lonely. Um, and that's uh, what we found, because migrants um, were less satisfied with their social relations in comparison to native Dutch. And that's also something that I want to explore in future studies, um, whether and how and, um, migrants describe this dissatisfaction and why they're less satisfied with their social relations. I wonder if the acculturation of the second generation uh, family members might have an impact there. Yeah, yeah, I wonder about that too. It seems like... It could be like a certain um, difference between generations in terms of their acculturation. And it would be certainly very interesting to explore in future studies uh, whether this difference uh, could also contribute to being unhappy or uh, feeling lonely. Yes, yes. Right. So your children and grandchildren are now... Um, not following traditional cultural practices, and now there's a, a separation that's uh, grown up uh, between the grandparents' generation and the children and grandchildren. So, yeah, yeah. Rowan, you described uh, some qualitative research that sounded very interesting. Are you working on that now? Tell me, um, tell me what you're uh, currently working on. Uh, was this part of your doctoral dissertation, and where are you in that process? Well, I, I, I finished this first uh, part of the project, uh, namely this, this paper uh, published at the Derontologist. And now I'm working on qualitative research. Uh, I'm doing my data collection at the moment, where I'm interviewing um, older migrants uh, living in the northern Netherlands. And during those interviews, I ask them um, how they enjoy living in the Netherlands and what kinds uh, what what things they like, what things they don't like, 
Um, I also asked them questions about their family members and friends, but also about their country of origin and whether they miss things from their country of origin and whether they are satisfied or not with their social relations and if they ever feel lonely. So I'm really, with this qualitative research, going into detail about their um, experiences and their daily life and their social life. That sounds really interesting. Will that be the bulk of yeah. your uh, doctorate or is there a third project? Um, well, this, this data collection would hopefully uh, lead to the, the, the future project. But I also want to write a paper about the data collection. Because, uh, for instance, uh, I encounter some language issues and um, some ethical considerations um, in terms of studying and interviewing older migrants. So I also want, would like to write a paper on that um, from an outsider perspective, because I'm a native Dutch uh, researcher. So I also have to consider how that uh, influences the data collection in terms of language or cultural differences. And besides that, I'm also quite young compared to the participants of the study. So that might also play a role. Um, yeah, so I would like for the, for the, in terms of the entire PhD project, I would also like to write a paper on that, on how the data collection went. What are the ethical issues that arose? Well, I mainly, um, what I meant was that in general, um, it might be hard to explain what exactly um, is expected from participating in scientific research. So um, we explain, I always explain to participants what I am doing um, and why I'm studying uh, this topic and what um, the interview would be like. But it could be the case that sometimes people don't really understand what scientific research means or that they say, yes, I would like to participate. Um, but then it could be also because of language difference that they say, yes, I want to participate, but they did not really um, know what I was uh, telling them. So I also will work with an interpreter and describe how that went uh, to work with an interpreter and then to see if that um, helps in terms of the ethical issues as well. Has anyone dropped out of your study after having an interview? Uh, so far not, no. Well, that's good from a data collection point of view. <laughs> yeah. How yeah, many? so far I, <laughs> I only had instances where I had made appointments and then uh, participants didn't show up, okay. unfortunately. So uh, how many more interviews do you need to complete? Uh, I would like to have at least more, uh, well, in total, I would like to aim for 20 interviews. Mm -hmm. But you never know with qualitative research when you uh, reach a situation or if you uh, come across some other interesting topics that you would like to explore. How are you handling the diversity of the uh, cultural background, country of origin, uh, as you plan that uh, uh, round of interviews? Yeah. yeah, that's a very good question. So what I decided to do is first focus on one um, um, a migrant group. 
so that I have a clear understanding of one culture and one cultural background before I would move on to another group. So I started uh, with interviewing Turkish migrants so that I first have a good idea of what their experiences are like before I would decide to um, go to another or study another group. So in addition to the Turkish immigrants, what other uh, groups do you anticipate uh, working with? Um, I would also be interested in working with the Moroccan group. But um, yeah, with qualitative research, you never can really plan the entire data collection. So if, if this study, if this data collection with the Turkish group is um, has really valuable and rich data, then that, that would also be a great starting point for a paper and future studies. That sounds great. So Rowan, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me this morning. It was very mm-hmm. interesting and very informative. Yeah, yeah. thank you uh, for inviting me for this podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you about the research. Thank you. And I want to wish you best of luck in your doctoral dissertation research. And we look forward to seeing more of your results and findings in The Gerontologist. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I'm also looking forward to writing more about, uh, about the project. Hello. Hi, Mom. It's me. Okay, what's up? Oh, nothing much. Just talked to an interesting researcher about uh, about older immigrants to the Netherlands, but I'm curious about something and whether you have any point of tangency. That they did some research on people who emigrated and like. <laughs> And they're in a new country, and now they're older and have a very different experience of social isolation and loneliness than just sort of native-born people who are elderly. So one thing I'm curious about is what you think life was like for your people parents or grandparents or maybe uh, daddy's parents who were first-generation immigrants? Oh, boy. Well, daddy was first. My, my father was first-generation here, and he came right. with a friend. Right. He, a friend from his hometown. Who, as a matter of fact, I met him any number of times. He, was, he, he remained friends with daddy. Excuse me. Um, until uh, basically until Daddy died, and then uh, I saw him a few times after that, and he died not very not very long thereafter. Um, Grandpa was very close now about his life in in uh, in Russia. Actually, he was he lived in. Uh, in a small town outside of Kiev, so I guess you could you could say he was you know that we're Ukrainian. Um, was he connected to other immigrants from Russia or yes, Ukraine yes. or the Jewish community? Yes, uh, I don't know about the Jewish community, but the immig- immigrant community. He he got the job 
um, with an organization called AMTORG, A-M-T-O-R-G, which I have a feeling was at one of these um, Russian organizations that either helped settle immigrants or kept people connected to their, their roots. He grew up in a very religious house. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to uh, he went to Shoah from the time he was three years old. So he spoke Yiddish. He spoke probably spoke some Hebrew. I don't know because he he didn't speak it at home. Nobody nobody in the house spoke Hebrew. My mother didn't. My grandmother didn't. Uh, you know, her mother, her family didn't. But they spoke Yiddish. Um, so what about your grandmother? I know she lived with you and and your parents. That was my mother's mother. Yeah. And she had she had come from Romania um, in the early either either the late nineties or the early tens. I'm not sure. And she she spoke English. She spoke Yiddish beautifully. Um, so, I guess the question is um, about her identity and whether you think that she was lonely or isolated in any way. She, she had your family well, lived together. Yeah. I know it's kind of oh, hard because you were a child to think about that, but. Um, you know, I can, I, can, I can see back on it. She was very, very. Uh, um, isolated. She did have some friends who, that I don't know whether she made them here or she came from Europe with them. Um, there were some Romanian friends that she had because they used to sit and talk Romanian, Romanian Yiddish. I, I could remember that. The Yiddish was not the same as the Yiddish my father spoke. But I, I would definitely say she was isolated because she there was nobody around. I mean, we were living in the in in the Bronx, all the way up north, and there weren't the kind of um, social activities in the neighborhood we lived in. What resources or steps could be taken for first generation immigrants who don't have a lot of connections uh, in the country where they're living? but they're now older. Well, I think they have to be connected with people from their area, from the area that they came from. They have to, they have to be um, guided towards people who speak the same language, who may live in areas that, is, that make it convenient for everybody to get together. I, I don't know. You see, things today are very different from when they, from during the Depression and, and World War II. It, it's very difficult to make any, to make that kind of comparison from them then to now. Many of the people who are coming now can take advantage of the Internet. The experience of my mother's father and her maternal grandmother seemed to parallel the scholarship that Rowan talked about. I just want to try and make the connection here because what Rowan found was that people 
were socially isolated and emotionally isolated. And these first-generation immigrants in my mother's family did experience some of that isolation, although they did, although they did have thriving immigrant communities in the United States. Their experience was very different. It was structured um, around massive waves of migration around the end of the 19th century and around the Depression, around um, World War II. But I think some of the same social forces and emotional forces were at play in their lives. And who knows what they would have said if they had the chance to be in a focus group. Thanks for listening. To learn more about The Gerontologist and to read its latest articles, visit the website at www.geron.org. The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to promote the scientific study of aging, to encourage exchanges among researchers and practitioners from the various disciplines related to gerontology, and to foster the use of gerontological research in forming public policy. Thank you.